With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. There was this incredible grassland, you know, with a forest further away. And we're like, okay, let's go in there. And I remember, you know, we jumped over a fence with Carolina and we start walking. And then she says, you know, wait, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And she sort of walks back, you know, towards the fence and suddenly says, stop. And she says, don't move. She was in terror. Her voice was in terror. And she had found a sign saying that that whole piece of land was mined. It had landmines on it. It starts with just taking that leap. Man, you have to work hard. You have to be incredibly smart. Choose something that even if it fails, even if it fails you are going to be proud of. It doesn't matter how badly you got beaten. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Become a better person, a better leader, a better business. Go for that. <laughs> I'm Samuel Donner, and this is Finding Founders. Okay, my full name is Juliana Maria Furci Giorgio Nascimento. I am a mycologist, that means I study fungi, and I work for the Fungi Foundation. That's an international NGO working for fungal conservation, education, and exploration. Before you were like totally entrenched in this world, you had to discover it. So can you tell me about this field trip you took when you were 19? I always knew that I wanted to work to give back to the world, either through people, nature or something. And I first thought I, it was through humans and that didn't go very well. What do you mean? Why did it go well? Well, I studied um, to be a social worker and it was just a lot of humans in my everyday life. So, you know, even just through reading philosophers and just thinking from a human perspective, it was just discouraging to say the least discouraging just because of dealing with everyone's idiosyncrasies yes and with the, with life through the human lens and life through other species lenses is very different and i was at a loss for peace from always thinking about life through many different humans lives and lenses So I went on to look for other ways of giving back. And one way was through plants. So I thought, okay, it's just going to be plants in the water. I mean, there have to be less humans in the water. And I went on to study aquaculture and particularly phycology, so algae. While I was studying algae that I saw an announcement on a wall in the university hallways that was looking for volunteers to study Darwin's fox or the fox from Chiloé and it was a really cool project where you had to you know put some bait inside a cage get the foxes um, without harming them at any step of this way put a radio collar on them um, and then free them and start following them 
with an antenna and a little kit and sort of just following the signal that the collar would emit. So basically through trigonometry, you would find out where the position of the fox was. And that was incredible. The perfect amount of humans. I was only there with one other human. And then it was all foxes. So while you were studying foxes in the forest, you stumbled on something that caught your eye. What was it? It was this beautiful mushroom. What did it look like? It didn't move too much. <laughs> it didn't emit a large audible sound. It just felt like that was the kingdom of life where I could bear it all and I could really communicate the way I needed to communicate. It was the lens through which I could love life. What about it? that lens is so interesting to you? that makes it all possible without being over communicative in human language connecting everything and everyone there are still a lot of humans involved but not that many humans really thinking and talking this is more of a holistic perspective of life on earth fungi really represent everything holistic and so you see this beautiful fungi or fungus on the ground. How does that, I guess, that attraction develop into something that you actually want to pursue? Like, what's the next step that you take to develop your knowledge of what this thing is? The next step was, I really want to know who that is. And I started looking for places where there, were, where there was documentation about mushrooms in Chile. I got into a bit of a despair because I couldn't find anything and that's where there was an aha moment of, I have to do this, right? This is something I have to do. It's not possible that anybody who wants to know about these organisms can't find anything. There's no field guide. And I thought, I'm writing this field guide. While that journey of knowledge was developing, I would write this field guide. It would be my way of making sure that nobody else has that problem again. That, that was the feeling. And that went on only for one or two months, I would say, until I, I was, you know, I'd already had the certainty that nobody else was working on it. I'd knocked on many doors to make sure that there wasn't anything published. And then it was just, I'm, I'm going to work on this. And I didn't need anything to do. I didn't need funding. I didn't need encouragement. The only thing I had to do was wait for Barnes & Noble to send the books from England or the US, wherever they were, to Chile, where I was. And the first few books I bought, I would just eat them up. So the longest wait was, was waiting for that material. Books on European fungi, North American fungi, any field guide that I could purchase. So there were field guides for, for fungi in other countries, but just not in Chile. Yes, exactly. So can you tell me how that leads to the six years of traveling? Right. So I had this book that I had already written. And then it got to a point where my mom, I remember many times she would say, can you just please talk about something else, please? And it was impossible. I couldn't talk about anything else. And so by word of mouth through friends, Julie's gone mad about fungi. She can't stop talking about mushrooms. And a friend of mine said, you know what? My girlfriend's a photographer and she takes amazing pictures of mushrooms and she loves them too. You've got to meet her. And I met Carolina. 
she's a photographer and a designer and she was really mushroom crazy as well. And she said, you know what? I've got a friend who um, is an illustrator and he's been illustrating for this philanthropist who's doing a series on nature in Chile. And he's funding travel all over the place to do, you know, work with plants and animals. Why don't we pitch something for fungi? And I was like, sure, let's do this. And we met with him. Roberto Edwards was, is his name. When I met him, you know, he said, oh, I know, I know your family. My family's been in, in book printing and editing for a long time. He said, let's do something. I love this idea of yours of a book. Write a proposal for me. And I took it upon myself to write a proposal to do a one year, um, like just two seasons in a year um, survey of fungi around Chile. And when I sent it to him, he called me up for a meeting and he said, you know, I want you to meet with my executives here, the financial executives, because this proposal is the best one I've read. You didn't round up one single number and every every number comes with three quotations for me to choose from. And I'll, I'll never forget, he was so impressed just, just because it was a very honest proposal, right? No, not one number round, was rounded up. Um, and so, of course, he said, you girls have got this. Um, and he funded a whole year of us traveling around. And that led to six years. <laughs> Can you tell me about that first year? One, what did that feel like? And can you tell me about an experience that you remember that sticks out? Well, it was absolutely incredible. It was the most exciting thing that had ever happened to me. I was studying at university at, the, at that time. And I remember the first thing I did was go and speak to the head of the university and say, I can't not do this. I propose the following. Everything I do will have the credit of me being from this university and you let me do the exams. I will study while I travel. Just let me come back and do the exams. And the university said yes. And that was the first thing that was, you know, because I didn't want to have to choose between getting a degree and going on this incredible trip. So I, I really knew I could do both. That was the first thing. And the second thing was planning, what do we do with the gear? We've got all this field gear. We're talking about collecting material, containers, dehydrators, the photography gear to be able to use a flash in the forest with no electricity. It would be charged with a car battery. It would give you 400 flashes. It's a lot of high-tech gear to be able to do exploration in, in forests. And so it was a massive issue. Like, how do we get around with rented cars and airplanes. And so what happened was that this is the, I think the most memorable moment of the beginning of that trip was when the car rental company guy, I will never forget him ever. His name was Marco Gutierrez. He said, you know what? We're going to support you and we're going to have this car dedicated to you and we're going to move the car for you. You leave everything packed. Let's modify the back of this um, truck. It was a pickup truck. We're going we're gonna to put a fiberglass cover on it and we're going to build in these drawers and you girls just load your car. You can move by airplane and wherever you arrive, we will have the car with your gear waiting for you. And that was the beginning of everything. You know, he really made it possible. We'd land and he'd have like, you know, a speaker in the airport saying, uh, Miss Juliana Furche, Miss Carolina Maniasco, your car is waiting for you. Please approach the counter. And, you know, it was just, he made it all possible. 
And like they believe in your vision and to actually like help you enact this thing that's in your head. So what what did the actual work look like for you? Is there an experience that stands out where you were actually like in the field and you never would have expected it to happen in the way that it did? I mean, working in expeditions and explorations in nature are full of these really, really crazy experiences. I'd say that one of the things that stood out completely was we would go along looking for substrates. Fungi are specific to substrates. So you look for grasslands or you look for certain types of forests to go and look for the fungi. And there was this incredible grassland, you know, with a forest further away. And we're like, okay, let's go in there. And I remember, you know, we jumped over a fence with Carolina and we start walking and then she says, you know, wait, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And she sort of walks back, you know, towards the fence and suddenly says, stop. And I'm like, what? And she says, don't move. And she was in terror. Her voice was in terror. And she had found a sign saying that that whole piece of land was mined. It had landmines on it. Oh my goodness. And they were landmines that had been placed when there were all these threats of war between Chile and Argentina. And we were close to the border. And if she hadn't gone back to have a pee at that moment, she wouldn't have seen the sign. So I had to walk back very carefully, follow my footsteps back and get out. And she managed to get out. After the, this year mission turns into six, what concluded it? When did you know you were done? I'm still not done. There's nothing that's done. What, what had finished with that particular sort of field endeavor with that partnership, what stopped that was motherhood. <laughs> I mean, it didn't stop it. It's, it caused it, you know, because um, I, I got married and became a mother and I had to sort of stop going to very cold, rainy forests, you know. Filled with landmines. Filled with landmines <laughs> and life happened. You know, Carolina then had her children. And so our partnership, it hasn't ended. How does that lead to the Fungi Foundation? So I wanted to continue working for the Fungi in any capacity, and I couldn't travel. You know, I while I was breastfeeding my son, I wrote my first field guide with all that material, like a, a lot, a lot of time writing. And I, I still wanted to do more, and there was nowhere to study. There was nobody really to help me, you know. And I thought, you know, this is wrong. You know, I mean, okay, what do I do if I want to do if I want to work for fungi? And my only alternative was to leave Chile. And I thought, no way, I'm not leaving because I want to know more about fungi. I'm going to build a platform to make sure that nobody ever has to leave because they want to do know about mycology or work for the fungi. And it was, it was just a very profound certainty that if I dedicated my life to building a platform for others, it would be a life well used and well served for the fungi. So my commitment to, to found the Fungi Foundation was for others. It was giving that passion 
in service to building a platform for anybody and everybody else that was interested in this country, in Chile. Now that quickly got out of hand because now we're open in the US and we work all over the world. <laughs> but, but it started off as a way to give, to give back. And so did you start trying to put other people on expeditions? Like, cause you've learned all this stuff from your, your six years and you now have the knowledge to, to help and send other people to expand the understanding of fungi. So did that come into handy or no? It's come in handy, but it came in handy in a, in an unexpected way, because what happened was that when the foundation started, when the whole idea of building a foundation, before we were legally established, there was an opening in the Chilean law of the environment to comment on legislation. When a law opens up for any reason, you can comment on any topic that's covered by that legislation. And it was the general law on the basis of the environment. It's a constitutional law here at the highest level. And I thought, this is perfect. Why don't we get fungi? into the law so that there's a legal requirement for people to start doing baseline studies for fungi. It took two years and a lot of networking to finally manage to trigger the inclusion of fungi in Chilean legislation at the highest level, which translated into a regulation that requires for every baseline study that goes into an environmental impact assessment in the whole country had to include fungi. And that meant that people had to go out to all these sites where you were looking, where you were asking for a permit and understand what fungi were there and what would happen if you go through with that project. So my initial plan that was a bit slower quickly turned into a massive top-down impact of getting the legal requirement for people to study fungi. And then for the next five years, I was working with the foundation team to train people to be able to do those studies. To, and I was writing the books with the species found in Chile so that they had the, the tools. And I was working with the legislators to help them really get you know, the understanding of what was there, what, what wasn't, and what the implications were. So it went a lot quicker than, than I thought it would go. How do you have time to do all of this stuff? Like, how are you balancing everything? You know, a lot of people ask me this question, and I've realized now that it's basically just spending every minute you have awake dedicated to this. And it doesn't feel unhealthy. It never has. So I, for the last 10 years, have worked basically day and night with no real vacation and earning very little. Re you can sort of say reinvesting, but basically everything that I earned, I would put back into the endeavor of the foundation because this was in Chile. There's no philanthropy here. We, we've only been open in the U.S. for the last year. And in one year in the U.S., we fundraised more than we ever fundraised in Chile in 10 years. So it was, the, you know, the classic story that many of you maybe have heard about people who start up, you know, out of the garage in their house with subsistence working and working day and night. That really is the story of the Fungi Foundation. And how do you think that you guys are changing people's perception of, of fungi? I'm noticing a 
a resurgence in interest. What do you think is happening right now? And what are your thoughts on the future of fungi in our lives? So I've been working for them for 23 years, and I have a pretty good idea of a before and an after. The first thing I have to say is that there have been a lot of people working really, really hard for fungi to be acknowledged and appreciated. Among those is Paul Stamets, for example. Paul Stamets is a guy who I met in 2005 around there. I went and took his course. He was the only place in the world you could go to study a bit about fungi. He had written several books of which almost all of us, quote unquote, oldies in the space, you know, used to either learn how to cultivate or learn more. And people like him or Gary Linkoff, an incredible mycologist, and, and, and other people were really building a lot of knowledge and publishing and putting it out there. But it wasn't until Paul's work and Paul's mission was featured in Fantastic Fungi that any of that was known to the mainstream. I would say that until Fantastic Fungi was shown in 2020, along with the publishing of Merlin Sheldrake's book uh, entitled Life, nobody really knew about it. You know, Paul had built a, a company, Fungi Perfecti, and his host defense line, you know, with medicinal fungi. So lion's mane, turkey tail, chaga, you could find cordyceps. And there were others that were smaller and following in those footsteps in a way, but that suddenly had the chance to grow when Fantastic Fungi and Entangled Life came out. And there is no doubt that there is a before and after. But I, I have to say, it's not the movie by itself. It's the life's work that's shown in that movie. Eugenia Bone, who's a chef who'd been working and written books for, you know, a decade before the film came out. Now, I'd been working for two decades, you know. Fantastic Fungi is the tip of the iceberg that's, that's visible and below is this huge momentum that has been built up, a huge movement. What I see for the future, I am grateful to be living the moment that that tip is visible because we'd only dreamt of it. But it was the beautiful writing of Merlin Sheldrake. It's just the best book I've ever read about fungi. And the incredible, incredible documentary by Louis Schwartzberg. That was what made it. This might be a very hard question for you to answer because like, I am sure you could spend hours and years say, like, answering this question. But I want to ask it anyway. Why are fungi important? Oh, because they connect everything. They make ecosystems. They are the reason that energy flows on Earth. Without fungi, no energy would ever be transformed and would be a huge rubbish dump. Fungi are the recyclers of organic compounds and make them available as elements to recombine for life. The, the fungi make their own kingdom of life, just like animals do and plants do. And if you look at the animal kingdom, you see animals that lay eggs, animals that give birth to live little you know, organisms. There are so many different ways they live. And with the fungi, the same thing happens. But all fungi, what they're basically doing in general terms are one of two things. They're either decomposing and recycling, or they're in a symbiosis to enable life. Mm -hmm. 
So they assist plants and animals so that plants and animals can live on Earth, outside of water. No plant can live out of water without fungus on or inside its roots or its cells. No herbivore can digest, you know, the plants they eat without the fungi that are helping them break down those cellulose and cell walls and fibers. So they're either enabling or they're recycling. They're always ensuring balance and ensuring the life of others. Yeah, and it's so cool that there's finally like so much interest in these 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 heroes of the natural world. If someone wants to find more about these cool organisms, um, where can they find more about you, about um, fungi in general? What are some resources that people can uh, look to explore? So you can find us on our website ffungi.org, so double F, and on you know Instagram we use a lot, but you can also find us. Um, in different publications, so in the State of the World's Fungi by Q Gardens, you can find us in the Fantastic Fungi book and film. You can find us um, on our YouTube channel with different productions. So, Fungi Foundation. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, DM us at Finding Founders Podcast on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. Finding Founders is produced and hosted by me, Samuel Don. Our chief of staff and operations is Jessica Lin. Our audio editing team lead is Adrian Tapia. Support from Irene Van Berkel, Matt Fernandez, May B. Cannon, Sophia Donner, Maura Lynch, Zoe Maddox, Ashley Jimenez, Michael Chung, Nicholas Guzman, Aaron Devereaux, Sanessa Gisley, and Lois Choi. Our outreach and research lead is Kenny Ong, with support from Sarah Hobson, Melody Sopani, Cherise Tan, Jake Wiley, Ibada Thrive, and Mecca Shelton. Our writing team lead is Elizabeth Bowen, with support from Abigail Azardia, Elise Caldwell, Jake Wiley, Jordan Ortiz, and Sanessa Gisley. Our design team lead is Shruti Ramanand, with support from Sohail Amatya. Tiffany Dang, Jonathan Ross, and Diana Marie Candazza. To see more of what we're up to, subscribe to our newsletter at findingfounders.co. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.